You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Hey, Tom. How you doing, Susan? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I think I saw you just a few minutes ago, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah. We were just teaching for two days at the Arizona Narcotics Officers Association. Had a good time. Good turnout. Yeah. Great turnout. Today we had 80 plus in standing room only and people got turned away. I was like, dang, bring them on in. They could have sat on the floor in the front like we did in kindergarten. Uh, But (laughs) no, it was a fun conference. Life's good. And I guess when it's 150 degrees outside, you got nothing better to do until, you, unless you come in from out of state like Oklahoma and you decide this is the environment you want to play golf in. <laughs> well, it is a cheap season here. Oh, that, yeah. But, so you get to die for <laughs> less right. than you want. Yeah. That's, that's a great it's worth It's worth the money now. <laughs> Absolutely. You bet it is. But uh, yeah, we've got great guests today. They are longtime friends. Travis and his wife, Tracy Yates. All right. When did we meet and how? My wife asked me that when I told her that she was going to come on your podcast. She says, what? And I said, oh, no. And she said, well, how did you meet? And uh, you taught a class in, I believe, in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, or somewhere away from Tulsa, about an hour. I don't remember where. And I saw the flyer. I went to the class. And uh, of course, you were, you know, half dressed there, and it, I was interested. <laughs> this and was a lot. I was a lot I, younger. I, 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 I actually, less, in all honesty, in all honesty, Susan, I think it was. If I was to guess, it was fifteen to twenty years ago. I, I right. think so too. Right. I know I had taught in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa for the narcotics officers. It wasn't that? It, wasn't it was that, an individual okay. class, and okay. I want to say it was. It was like in, and it was an hour either way. It was in a really smaller town. I just saw the flyer and I was really interested in it. And I, I got to give you a lot of credit, Susan. I mean, here we you go. Were, it's recorded. I'm glad we have this on tape. <laughs> well, I mean, in go all ahead, honesty, the, the, you know, when you look at wellness and mental health and suicide prevention and all this PTSD, all this stuff, it's almost the flavor of the of the month. Everyone is out there doing this stuff, and I've been in the training environment a long time, and and a lot of it is just makes me nauseating, but you were the OG. I mean, you were doing this day in and day out long before so many others. And just knowing you back then and then getting to come into the Under the Shield office and the podcast room to see what you have done. And I and I know you will never say this, but I know for a fact that you spent many years struggling <laughs> and struggling and financing this yourself and, and just pushing this. And now to look and see where you're at, man, it is really an honor just to be here and to see this. And it just that gives me a lot of hope. That means a lot. It does. <laughs> Could it have been up in Miami? That's exactly where it was. Okay. Eastern Shawnee. George Harrelson, I believe, who brought yes, you in. Yes, it now was. And the Eastern yeah. Shawnees right. helped pay. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's been, has been a long it has. time yeah. ago. But yeah, quite an honor to always be able to call you a friend and yeah, just because you forgot to live in Arizona, but we'll overlook that. <laughs> you know, retires, 
Doesn't think to send his old friend Susan his new number. I don't know who I was texting. Glad well. I glad I didn't say anything in, too inappropriate. <laughs> Any idea who got your phone from? There work? is no telling. There's no telling. It was either Internal Affairs or some other officer or somebody else. They're monitoring it for sure. <laughs> yeah, Travis, we've had some fun, and actually, Travis is the one I have to. Uh, give credit for my picture on Facebook with Sean Sticks Larson. But here's the funny part. I didn't know who he was. But I had people texting me when I put on Facebook that I was in Tulsa. They're like, oh, you got to get a... I thought his name was Stitch. <laughs> I didn't know who it was. And I was, Travis, I go, who is this Sean Stitch Larson? He goes, oh, yeah, he works for me. He's and a I cartoon went, character. <laughs> he goes, he works for me. And I go, I'm supposed to have a picture made with him. He goes, okay, let's go. So we go pull him off a search warrant in the middle of the day. Right in the middle of the apartment. He comes running out all sweaty with gloves on and... I said, I know you've never had this happen before, but here is Susan Simmons. (laughs) You lucky man, you. (laughs) I said, he goes from kicking indoors, yelling and screaming at people to posing in the parking lot with Susan. When I met him, I go, no wonder people wanted me to have a picture made with him. He's a nice looking man. Absolutely. So thank you for that opportunity. No, it's always fun to take women that aren't interested in me over to see Sean. It's always, it's always fun for me. We've had pictures made before. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we hope to get him on the podcast. We, we can do that, no we'll doubt. see if yeah. you can make that happen. Tracy, we're glad you're here. Thank you. The adult supervision of Travis. Good Lord, woman, you need to be on my couch. I don't know yes, how you're not twitching and all, all kinds of things because he's a handful. Some days. And yeah. I'm waiting for him to make Some a days. comment. I'm waiting for him to make a comment. Two hands full, I bet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Listen, I, <laughs> I, 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 will, I will tell you right now, uh, I've been very blessed to do a lot of things over the last 30 years in law enforcement and outside of law enforcement. I'm in Arizona this week teaching law enforcement. Yep. None of that would be possible without her because everything I've ever done as squirrely as the idea was, <laughs> as dumb as it turned out to be out or as much as it would cost us, she was always saying, I'm behind you. Yeah. I'm behind you. And that is, uh, I can never, I can never thank her enough for that. Well, now that you're retired, I think you're going to see even bigger stuff happen. Plus, we want to partner with y'all at Under the Shield and get some things going that way also. And because really our trainings do, I yeah. think they'll go we, really we, well we, together. The funny thing is, through the years, we've run across each other at conference, usually missed by a day. You're teaching one day, I'm teaching another day. Yeah. And I fell into it just by happenstance. If you would have told me 30 years ago, oh, you're going to be traveling the country for 20 years teaching cops, I'd be like, what are you talking about? In fact, when people first called me to do it, I go, what? what why would I go teach your department? I have my own department to worry about. <laughs> And I just fell into it, and it's just uh, it's just been really an honor. But I've never really treated it other than something just to kind of do for fun because mm-hmm. I never had the time to do it. Sure. You know, I was always concerned with my primary duties there sure. in Tulsa. But uh, I'm looking forward to what God may have in store. Um, and one day, I, I'm a realist, one day the phone will quit ringing. One day I will be the old dude that nobody wants to hear from. <laughs> but until that day comes, I'm just really honored to just any time I get to do it, I really enjoy doing it. Honey, I'm almost 65 years old. They've never wanted me to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes me feel good. <laughs> so you just got to keep plugging right, away and kicking right. indoors anyway. So give us a brief synopsis of your time on now that you're retired and how you started and all about law officer and how you guys met because the family is a brief synopsis yeah. of my life. We, absolutely. Give us, give us the, the, bullet I will. Points. I'll do the best I can. <laughs> well, I, uh, I had no intention to go into law enforcement. My father was in law enforcement for 27 years. He retired in 1999, but you know, before that I'm, I'm, I 
I, I was beginning athletics and uh, kind of in my mind, I wanted to go stay in athletics as long as I could through playing college ball and then going, maybe going to coaching, something like that. And I was, I was going to college to do that. And my, I was very fortunate that in my household, my parents, like not going to college wasn't an option. And they were like, that's just what you're going to do. And from exactly. the time I can remember, that's what they told me. So there was never an option to just not go to college. Once you go to college, you got to start thinking about, okay, after this is over, what are you going to do? And that was what my plan was to go into some sort of uh, athletics in whatever form or fashion it was. And when I was 19, I went on a ride along. Odd that my dad was a policeman, but I mean, I just, you know, I didn't seem, I mean, we would watch police shows and stuff, but sure. I just didn't seem to interest me as a career. When I was 19, I went on a ride along. Now, Fort, was he in Tulsa? Was no, he he's in- Fort, he was retired at Fort Smith. He started in Los Angeles County. I was born out in Los Angeles, and he he should have gone to Vegas because in 1972, he kind of looked around and said, I don't want to raise my family in California. <laughs> and I said, you should have kept a couple houses. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but And he just literally just had a couple family members, second or third cousin, whatever, in the Arkansas area and just moved, just picked us all up and moved, walked into the police department. Uh, 24, 25 year old guy out of Vietnam, Marine Corps, and said, I want to be a policeman. Different little background checks back then. And the guy goes, yeah. Where are you from, boy? Now, that, they could say boy back then. You can't say that now, but this is <laughs> the 70s. You know, all kinds of stuff's crazy back then. And he says, California. He goes, You heard of this thing called marijuana? <laughs> and he says, uh, well, Yeah, I'm from California. I've obviously heard of marijuana. <laughs> he says, Well, we got to stop this epidemic. And they say, You know, that he works narcotics for like 25, 26 years of his wow. career. As I was a kid, you know, people, some people need Batman and Superman as heroes. I, I was, I grew up around narcs. Sure. And I'm talking Miami Vice cars and <laughs> cell phones and bags. I've never seen cell phones. I mean, the craziest technology and tools. And it, just, it was awesome. But I still didn't really have an interest because maybe because I was just exposed to that. Sure. When I was 19, I went on a ride along and it was one of these ride-alongs because you know i would tell people hey go on three or four ride-alongs yeah one of those you're going to hit you're you're going to you're going to hit you're going to hit the jackpot in one of them the other one's going to be kind of boring yeah but one of them's going to be like television (laughs) and it and the i went on ride along and it was crazy foot pursuits car pursuits i mean i was i I moved through the shift looked over at the guy and i said are they paying you for this because this looks like just fun and he goes oh yeah every two weeks that check drops and that was it. It changed my life dramatically and uh, changed my uh, major, I majored in criminal justice, got my degree. And and, and my dad, I, 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 my mom definitely wasn't thrilled. My dad acted like not thrilled because he's married to my mom. And, uh, <laughs> and smart man. And uh, they, they kept saying, are you sure you're going to do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you want to go to law school. I said, oh, no, no, no. In fact, and but but then my dad finally said, okay, because he knew you couldn't stop me. He finally said, this, this is all I ask is is um, we want you to use your degree. So why don't you find a department? He was pushing feds because he worked a bunch of feds. He knew some of the benefits of that. I think sure. he's trying to keep son out of danger because we know most feds, they get paper cuts, you know, is the biggest danger Absolutely. they have. Obviously, there are feds that are in danger, but most feds. Put uh, people in jail with pen and paper. Right. Absolutely. We know that. And yeah. so, um, and I said, yeah, feds interest me, uh, but nobody would hire me right out of college. You have to have experience. Or a master's. And, uh and so he says, well, there's a couple of departments that require college degrees. Now, this is 1991, 92, and it was Arlington, Texas and Tulsa PD. Wow. And I applied and Tulsa called and I went to Tulsa, started when I was 21 years old and planned to, planned to stay there three or four years and go to the feds. And I had all these plans of, you know, do you have DEA background, Susan? I mean, back then they would pay the DEA like 30% more if you went overseas and you went in the jungles. And I was doing all that. I was just like, I was already <laughs> doing that. And then as the story typically goes, I met a girl. <laughs> 
all her fault. No, she listen, changed I, everything. And then my life dramatically changed once again. And it was, uh, wow, it was the greatest, greatest thing that ever happened to me. Sure. And uh, she was working in the courthouse. In fact, we have the GPS coordinates on our 20th anniversary. We got them tattooed on us. I'm not a tattoo guy, but I got them tattooed on us. And and actually, I say it's where we met, but it, actually the courthouse is right over the jail. So I said we met at the jail. <laughs> <laughs> you bailed her out. Yeah, so she was working at the courthouse as a victim witness advocate. Nice. And uh, and um, that was it. Yeah, I and mean, we were married. I don't know a year, year and a half later, and uh, we've been married. We got married in two thousand five. I'm not going to do the math. I heard you the math. Nineteen ninety five. Ninety five. Ninety five. I knew it is called the fighter podcast. Uh, you know, it ended in a five. That's close. Yeah, yeah. five. Yeah. Five. You were close. Long damn time. <laughs> uh, Feels like a lifetime. And uh, you know, it's like most young young kids. I mean, we didn't know anything. <laughs> sure. We just, I just knew that I wanted to get married to that. You know, I didn't think past that. And but man, I tell you, she has. You know, she comes from a law enforcement background. Let her talk about that real quick. Um, my dad was. Um, Highway Oklahoma Highway Patrol, mm -hmm. and um, we lived in more Oklahoma at the time. I was like a month away from turning, two months away from turning five, and there was a manhunt of some escapees from the McAllister prison, and he was killed in the line of duty. Oh wow! And um, my, um, it was the darkest day in the history of the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. They actually lost three the same day from mm. the same oh, escapees, man. and um, my uncle. Is he retired as a colonel from the Oklahoma Highway Patrol, and then my grandfather, their dad, was also in the Highway Patrol. He's like in the fourth or so class, but yeah, um, come from that background, and um, wow. my degree is also in criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And but I just fell in love with the victim advocate um, profession and started working for the DA's office bef even before I graduated with my um, bachelor's degree and. Those officers would come in and testify in court, and that's where that's where we met. And you didn't run for the hills. <laughs> no, well, I, I, got I did have some reservations. Well, but. I was going to say, well, come, I mean, but coming from that, you know, your dad is killed in the line of yeah. duty and stuff. Even though you were young, you'd still mm -hmm. kind of think, oh, maybe I need yeah. to rethink. Well, yeah. Susan, when how old were you when we met? Twenty-one. So, if you could imagine a twenty, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one-year-old girl working in the courthouse. Oh yeah. She had to put boxing gloves on with, cops, with cops all over. She right? still so She would when, still have When to my try. rookie self was going to squad me and to say, I'm going out with this girl from courthouse, I almost had to put boxing gloves on. <laughs> uh, but I won. I won. You did. I won big time. But, you uh, both did. So did I. Yeah, uh, you both and, did. And, um, you know, and she did. How am I so emotional? This one makes me emotional. Uh-huh. Um, she did Don't something. Don't worry. We're going to get you on the She did something, Susan, that I consider one of the most heroic things I've ever seen was she was embedded in her career, loved what she did. And uh, I don't know, about five years into our marriage, we had our first child. Once again, don't know anything about any of that. We just go, well, let's, okay, we have a kid. Yeah. And and <laughs> when we have the kids, she says, uh, I think I'm called to stay home. She left, she abandoned, oh, she left her career, uh -huh. right? She leaves her career and she raises my kids, our kids mm -hmm. uh, at home. Wow. And, uh, she has sacrificed so much. Well, that's the yeah, hardest really, job really in has. the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause oh, that's yeah. not, you know, people talk about stay at home moms. Give me a break that. Oh yeah. I lasted like a month. So, I mean, she even, <laughs> she even for a significant period of time, homeschooled them at home. Uh, and it, it has done a couple of things, Susan. It has, it was the best decision 
mm-hmm. uh, that that we had ever made. I mean, obviously she wanted to do it, but I had to get behind the decision because it was a financial decision as well. But it sure. was the best decision we ever made. But it also has dramatically changed my children. Sure, we we see what that foundation did to them, and as because we have two grown men now, uh-huh. uh, you know, the, the, and we have one. Twelve year old child, but we have two grown men now that have. So I, I've, I can, I can look at them and see exactly what that decision made that she made, and she really had to initiate that decision. And uh, it also enabled me as I went through my career because I went up through different, uh, you know, ranks and different assignments, different shifts. I never had to worry about what I did. You know, can I take this promotional exam? Can I take this shift? Can I take this assignment? I knew. Sure. She had the house. She was home. So I knew she was behind it. I never, it never impacted me. So, you know, that's why I think it, what she did was heroic because I soared in my professional career, mm-hmm. all thanks to her sacrifice, mm-hmm. all thanks to what she sacrificed. Yeah. yeah. Well, she deserves a badge. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered where my half of the DEA paycheck was, you know, because I was usually the one dealing with things even from the job. Mm-hmm. Well, she has the option to take half my shit anytime she wants, and I'm trying to be really nice to her. <laughs> but uh, but it true. is true about the taking that the half. We've just it really wasn't ever too much of an issue until you know later in his career. But you know, just the different shifts and different schedules and all that is just not everybody could understands that because like we yeah. have heard when we first got married, we were had you know friends and stuff that we went to church with that. You know, their their husbands didn't work on the weekends, and they were able to go and holiday. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So it's just it's different. It is, and you you know, Thanksgiving might be in October, or mm-hmm. December, mm-hmm. and Christmas <laughs> might be in February, yeah. and right. yeah, it's uh, uh, you really it's hard to do it without that strong support at home, being everything, mom, dad, mm-hmm. coach, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that it's a criticism of law enforcement. Right. It's right. the reality mm-hmm. of the job. Somebody mm-hmm. has to be there to pick right. that up because mm-hmm. they don't have the luxury of referral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to head to the house and y'all send another officer on that call. Didn't work that way. Right. And I could never have, and I've told Travis this, I could never as never thank him enough for, for working hard and picking up extra jobs and everything for me to be able to stay home because it was sure. the biggest blessing Sure. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it, too, is mm-hmm. that law enforcement has that mm-hmm. ability to work extra jobs and things um, that in some situations actually paid better than what the salary. But as you yeah. know, there's a, there's a creep there. There it, is. And it, it, it can impact the mental, mental mm-hmm. well-being of families and hurt families. So yes. there obviously is a balance there. There has to be a balance. Yeah. No question. What was the best job you ever did at Tulsa? Oh, it's easy. Street sergeant. Okay. Absolute. Uh, my goal. I didn't. I mean, I have a lot. My, I, I was a pretty simple guy when I got on the police department. They said, "What's your goal?" I said, "I want to be a cannon officer and I want to be a sergeant." That was, you know, and and I just thought that was fun. I said, "But maybe right before I retire, I'll make captain because my dad's a captain. Not a great reason to be a captain." <laughs> right. Uh, and you know, and and what God has done for me is every time there's been seemingly a disappointment, He's shown me rather quickly why that has occurred. And I put in for K-9 about three or four years on the department. Of course, you're not going to pick some young kid in K-9. You know, it's, those are seasoned <laughs> veterans that's put their time in. But, man, yeah. I, you know, I thought that was what I was meant to do. And I didn't get the job. And I, I was pretty down and out about it. And there was a promotional exam that came up that I wasn't planning on taking. So I go, oh, I'll just take this. And I made it. Mm-hmm. first rank supervisor, corporal my agency at the time. And then once I made that, I go, well, I don't know if I want to do the supervisor thing, but this was this this first rank of you help a sergeant, you know. So sure. I'm like it's kind of a test rank. And I started, I had a great sergeant I worked for, Mark Sherwood. 
and uh, he's now Dr. Sherwood, just doing some great work out there in post-retirement. And uh, he sort of inspired me, and I next I took a sergeant's test about a year later, made it, and uh, I loved that job so much I did it 10 years. I mean, I wow. loved it. I was up on the streets the entire time, and it was, it was uh, because as you know, you get a lot of camaraderie with those squads mm-hmm. that you have. You get, you get to somehow select a people and people come to you and, and you get, it's, it's one-on-one mentoring and coaching. And it was just right up my alley. I'm still close to those squads to the state of those officers. And, um, and uh, you get to go to the fun stuff, as you know, Tom, but you don't do all the paperwork. That's right. <laughs> you know, and so when I link, when I think back to the best memories and the, and the best time I had, it was no doubt that job. And, uh, I took a captain's exam, uh, and um, wait, you go sergeant to captain, captain middle, okay, captain's middle, middle no man, yeah, captain's lieutenants are actually sergeants now are called lieutenants in Tulsa. I got all those names straight, so right? Confusing. Uh, but but yeah, uh, your sergeant or lieutenants to first line supervisor, captain's middle management, majors upper management, then you have deputy chief level. Interesting. And um, and so I took a captain's exam. You know, I made that. I don't know, I had but like nine or ten years on. Didn't know what I was getting into there. But once you <laughs> once you get into that area, it totally changes the yeah. game. Yep, and uh, actually did that ten years, and really loved it. Got to do a lot of neat stuff. Project, I really like project management. Project management, multi million dollar top con. Just got to do stuff I didn't really have a lot of experience in, and enjoyed it. And then uh, I thought that was it, you uh-huh. know. And and I talk about those disappointments. And one of the reasons I wanted to stay a, a captain and sergeant so long is I was running our EVOC unit, emergency mm-hmm. vehicle operations unit, and, and that's kind of as you know where I started doing training around the country. Yep, uh, is I was writing monthly for Police One and other outlets, and I, I I didn't mean to become the expert in it, but it kind of happened because I was the only guy talking about it way back when when nobody talked about the dangers of cars and, and law enforcement. Sure, but I was running our unit. And I ran that unit for ten years. It's a part time unit, so I was doing my other assignment and it just. I'm talking, you, when you talk to officers about, hey, be careful not to love your jobs too much because the job's not required to love you back, Tom. That's right. <laughs> they're required to give you a paycheck. Exactly. But, but there's no it. mutual love here. And, of course, I loved that job so much and uh, and got crossways with some commander at some point. No, and, no, <laughs> not you. And, uh, and they say, hey, we don't want you anymore. And, uh, you know, and I, I guess I cried on my milk for a couple of weeks. And then I thought, you know, there's a lot of this stuff nationally I wanted to do. Now I have a bunch of free time because I was a captain on Graveyard at the time, which I liked because I was the highest ranking person on the police department during those time periods. So I loved, I loved making those decisions and getting those critical things going on. And, and, uh, and so I had this idea for Blow 100 in my head for a long time. Mm-hmm. Many people listening in law enforcement probably heard of Blow 100. Yep. And so I pitched it to a couple of people. First one I pitched to was the National Law Enforcement Memorial. I'll keep my opinion to myself on what they said and who they are. Thank you. Um, <laughs> We're with you. Because I, I don't believe we should be raising money on dead officers. I believe we should be yep. raising money to prevent line duty deaths. And um, there and you go. I, I won't say anything negative about them, but I love Chris Cosgrove over Officer Down Memorial page. Um, and... And they that didn't go well. And then I pitched to the Officer Magazine, Dell Stockton, uh-huh. thinking they would probably laugh it off too. And I go, we're interested. And so we put together one class. One class turned into, I think I was gone 75 days that year around the country uh-huh. doing train the trainers. It became embedded in about half of the state academies around mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. And just about a year and a half after we started, uh, we lost 106 officers, the record low uh, in you know 50 years. I think those numbers are creeped up because of deaths after that sure. year. But we saw it was, and that that just jetted me off all over the world, so to speak. I went to other countries talking about that, and so I I, I, tell, I say that story not to brag, but to say I took I would have never that would have never occurred. Yep. If that negative thing wouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. sure. I saw that commander after he retired, and I said, "Man, I ought to thank you and give you a medal." <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think your poor decision saved many lives. Uh-huh. And he was totally confused. But anyway, <laughs> I enjoyed saying it. I enjoyed saying Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But uh, so I, that's what I try to tell people because we call this a job for a reason because it's not always fun. Right. There's not things don't always go your way. Mm-hmm. If it was fun, it'd be, it'd be called vacation. You wouldn't get right. a paycheck. And so you have to keep a balance of the. Don't get too high. Don't get too low and understand that just because you have a bad day, a bad week, bad month, bad year, it doesn't mean that it can't change. It doesn't mean it's not for a reason. Everything is for a reason. Romans 8, 28, there, everything that happens to those called by God is for a reason. Yep. We don't always know that reason, but it will be revealed. And I've been very, very blessed that pretty quickly after the negative things, well, there's been other negative things that have happened, of course, like anybody that did this job for 30 years, mm-hmm. sure. that, that, that God has shown me that. And uh, it's just really a really kind of cool look back and go, oh, that's why that happened. I guess that book's true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and by the way, when the, when the bad things happen, I got to I got to talk about my wife again. She's sitting here. Yeah, she was always there, man. Sure. Like like <laughs> like like why I would describe this job after recently retiring for thirty years is I w- the way I would describe it is is every day takes a little piece out of you. Yes. Right. You have to put those pieces back. Exactly. And I would not recommend waiting 20 years, 30 no. years. That doesn't end well. And so my wife is my support structure and my best friend. And, uh, you know, she was always there to encourage. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, putting those puzzle pieces back when I was down and out. Sure. You know, and we've had some lows, real sure. lows. I mean, sure. as you know, I I try to speak the truth, whether it's controversial or not. I try to defend this profession in the last five years, that has not been popular. Ooh, no kidding. But I'm not going to back down. The truth is the truth. It matters. And uh, and so uh, we've had some lows from that. I wrote a book in 2019 called The Courageous Police Leader mm-hmm. that really went after police leadership. And yep. my editor called me the day it was going to publish, and he said, you sure you want to publish this? <laughs> yep. And I said, uh, well, why are you asking? He goes, man, you're still on the job. I go, but it's true. I mean, we've worked diligently to make sure this is true and it can help people. Mm-hmm. And I believe it has. And he says, uh, just so you're aware, mm-hmm. things may go a little sideways here and there when this thing comes out because there's nothing like this out there. Right. And uh, he was right. Mm-hmm. But it was all worth it. Sure. It still is worth it because I think it's changed lives and it's helped people. And that should be what we, we need to do. So, uh, so. It's really important for people listening to not let too many pieces leave you before you put it back. Of course, you talk about it, Susan. I mean, it's more than just your wife and your family. It's it's fitness and it's mental mental wellness and it's supplementation and it's diet and, and all this stuff. And throughout my career, I have fallen off. You name any of those topics, whether it's my marriage or my fitness or or health or what, I have let that stuff. I mean, it's fallen off. But man, the the times I've been able to put that together yep. have been the best times of my life. Well, and I think it speaks volumes too, which is why people need to bring you in for this leadership class that you teach, because you were a true leader from the moment you got promoted, which is why people wanted to work for you. You didn't play the game that so many do of being a supervisor and saying what's politically correct and thinking only of yourself. You stayed in a place of being true to the people who were beneath you on this job that you were supervising and leading. You know, there's a playbook in law enforcement, and I know you guys know it, that if you play by this playbook, you can be very successful. Mm -hmm. You can get police, you can be a police chief, you can skip to other departments, be police chief, and you can, you can have, you can pad your pension and you can be on Mm -hmm. the board of directors of what these other organizations are. But that's a, 
all a lie. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all, you're not true. It's, it's a, it's a scam. Yes. It's a, it's, it's, it doesn't help the profession. It's as politically correct. I mean, the ICP, Susan's getting <laughs> the majority of their budget. Yep. I'm going to say allegedly, because we don't want you sued, but it is true. I looked at the IRS document. From the Department of Justice, yes, the same Department of Justice that's going into depart- law enforcement and doing consent decrees yeah. and doing this Take fake methodology to dis- yeah. and by the way to destroy departments, destroy cities. You don't, I don't have to prove it to you. You will never go on a vacation in a consent decree city, right? You just won't because no, they destroy right. cities. So absolutely, it's all these folks are in bed together, mm-hmm. and so as a police chief or a police commander that wants to be a chief. You better get in lockstep with the what the organizations right. say, with yep. what your staff says. It's incestual leadership. And it's bad all leaders, about one. Bad leaders are teaching other leaders to be bad leaders, yep. and who's suffering is law enforcement. You don't have to believe me. Do we have not have a retention recruiting problem around this country? Yeah. Of course we do. But those bad leaders are making an excuse going, it's everywhere. Now they're lying. It's not everywhere. There's departments where people are standing in line right now to work for true leadership. Yes. Mark it's, Lamb is That's right. hundred <laughs> percent. So they say that as an excuse because at the end of the day, we can blame the media, we can blame the politicians, we can blame everybody else, but we've always had those entities. Yes. But, but leadership has faltered so greatly and mildly in this profession in the last decade, for sure. It breaks my heart because if this continues, Susan, mm-hmm. I shudder to think what our country is going to be like. I agree. It, it cannot yeah. continue. But so many people will not further, will not do what's right because mm-hmm. these guys that used to run down alleyways as cops after people with guns are scared to death behind their desks of getting called a name or getting called racist or getting called whatever. And it's destroying departments. It's destroying police officers and families that work in these departments yep. because they were lied to. They came on a department 10, 20 years ago and were told one thing. And then they get inside of this department and all of a sudden everybody turns on them the, the, inside the department, the community yep. and everything else. So I'm on a mission to mm-hmm. just to, to stop this. I'm on yep. a mission to fight this because I have kids and my kids are going to live in these communities and I want communities <laughs> to be grandchildren safe. Exactly. One day. And it's about yeah. leadership. And and so I don't get invited a lot to the chiefs of police conferences. <laughs> I don't. But I don't need to be invited to chiefs of police conferences. I'll come to Arizona conferences and everything else because those will be the future chiefs. Well, here's you what's know? interesting too, because it's that mentality of chiefs and people that lock me out of their buildings. Right. <laughs> but talk about mental wellness, and I shared with one officer from a department here locally. One day I'm just going to start calling names. I'm telling you, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I said, yeah, somebody needs to tell the chief. <laughs> There's a Southern saying that the fish smells from the head down. <laughs> and if you want to stop fish from stinking, you chop the head off and you gut it. And that's what needs to happen at one agency in particular and probably quite a few others, to be few, honest. Yeah. And, you know, when I had another I had somebody from that agency at a higher level. And he said, you know, says he said, the part that frustrates me about all this is, he said, if I were chief, I would be meeting with you every week, not to find out who you're seeing, but to find out what we're doing wrong that I need to fix because you're going to know the problems. And that same agency literally has banned me from the building. I'm not allowed in briefings. And the excuses they come up with are absolutely hilarious. The last one, you'll love this. I'm not sieges certified. What the hell? Why do I need to be sieges certified? What? It just means you're over the target if they don't like you. That means you're doing something right because there is a playbook to be very popular. Yeah. You know, there is. You make everybody feel good about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And tell some war stories. But 
Uh, but screw the but, troops. But but we yeah. need we need uh, disruptors. Yes. Because the things aren't going great right now. No. So we need people to disrupt what's going on. And I'm so fortunate you and your organization does that. Yeah. Oh, like I said, the older I get, the and chemo killed what filter I did have. <laughs> wasn't much to start off with. But yeah, I I'm ready to to you know take them down. What they're going to do to me? Ban me from the building? Got that box checked. So let's yeah, let's do it. But it's, it's going to take a lot of people sitting in trainings that you have talking about leadership and what it really looks like and has to look mm-hmm. like for retention to change, for recruitment to change. Again, Mark Lamb has no problem getting people to come to work yeah. for him. And some of the sheriffs in Florida, no problem getting people to come work for him. Yeah, Listen, people are attracted to leadership, whether mm-hmm. that's law enforcement or business or wherever else. Good leadership. And yeah, that's yeah, good leadership. And 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 law enforcement better figure this out. It's not about pay and benefits and salary. That stuff's great. Never but, has been. but people that's not at the top of the list, you, no one will do a job that is made impossible. Mm-hmm. Don't no one's gonna they're not gonna do it. And so leaders better step up. And what's so frustrating to me is it's not difficult. Uh-huh. Treat people right. Tell the truth. Sure. We, we developed a, a list of principles because one of the things with my books is everybody says, oh, yeah, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for it. But, but how do I go about doing it? Well, it's how do you explain? How do you do what's right? And so we <laughs> we actually I've actually we formed an organization called the Courageous Police Leadership Alliance. You can find that at CPLalliance.org. And we actually have principles like every decision, just apply these principles and you won't go wrong because sure. things go right. And uh, I'm not going to waste your time and energy. They can go to that and see that. Mm-hmm. Our next book is going to talk about the principles, but we're going to give them the playbook. We're going to sure. say, here's the playbook to do what's right. And I would I would give you the the, the microcosm of it is, is, look what happened to just Jason Aldean. Yes. Uh, that's recent on when this is going to run. But, you know, he comes out with this song like two months ago. Yeah. I'd never even heard of. And then I see people are calling it the lynching song <laughs> and the anti-Black Lives Matter song. And I go, what the hell is this song? So I go to the song and I, I watch the video. And I go, Nothing wrong with that song. What's going on here? Exactly. You know, it's basically the video's got news footage of riots. Yeah. And he's talking about, you know, that's happened. Bring that to my town. You know, this, is, this ain't going to happen in a small town. It's the genesis of the song. Yeah. And so they go after him. Yeah. And, and so if he was a police chief, he would have said, he would have done three press conferences apologizing. Yeah. He would have thrown down his manager. Yep. Uh, he would have cried. Yep. He would have gone to counseling, you know, but he's not a police He's not a police chief. Right. He says, there's nothing wrong with the song. Right. I don't mention race. Yep. You're all lying. Yep. Get over it. Mm-hmm. And the song shot the number one. Yeah. yeah. And his he will now become just as popular as everybody else they're trying to cancel. Sure. And so we need to learn that lesson. Why are you why are you giving into lies? Why are, that's what they want. Sure. And and I don't understand it. For I don't understand. Cancel culture the general public don't even pay attention to it anymore because they've used it so much. Uh-huh. And the only way it works is if you let it work. Yes. And if you let now, if you do something wrong, that's one thing. But right. this, but cancel culture doesn't cancel those folks. <laughs> oh, they're going after folks that don't do anything wrong, but they don't agree with whatever whatever, whatever their opinion is. Because mm-hmm. oddly enough, the same group that preaches inclusivity doesn't really like other people's opinions. No. And so. We need to learn from that. Like, sure. stop doing this. And I've seen a few chiefs starting to do this. And it's obviously it works well because it does work well. Because once you do that, they stop. Right. So, so. How do they look themselves in the mirror? Honestly, I don't and know. Truthfully. I don't know. This is, you know, this know. is the part that just confuses me as to how they can parade around like, kiss my ring because I am all of that. And you're nobody and you have no respect. 
uh, from the people. Well, that Susan, I've tried there. to tell everybody that's worked for me through the years. Listen, this job is a blessing. Mm -hmm. This job can end. You think it's going to end at a certain point where you think it's going to end, but it can, it can end any day. You won't be sergeant or chief or major or captain, whatever, the day you leave. Right. And most people at your department won't even remember you. They're going to right. divvy your stuff up and move on. So yeah. you can, you, the only legacy you're going to leave here is how you treated people. That's it. Like no one's going to remember who the major was three years ago in this division, or even if you did something really cool, they're not going to remember that, but they will remember you for how you treated them and how you led them because that carries on for generations. Sure. And, and cause I, I mean, and so, uh, you know, I was major Travis Yates for almost 10 years, but I'm nobody, but I always thought I was nobody because I knew one day I'd be nobody. <laughs> and the only, the, so I just tried to do the best I possibly could on how I treated people and showed them how to lead. So hopefully that will carry on long after I'm gone, but put as much attention as I can with the people that will be there after I leave, which yes. is who's sitting next to me right now and my family. Yes. So we put so much energy into trying to prove something to somebody when really, why don't you just go to work, treat people right, mm -hmm. do the right thing and go yeah. home to your family. It's not complicated. Well, you know, the other problem that I see is every once in a while you'll get a good chief out there that's willing to stand up and do the right thing. But then they've got to fight the city manager and the mayor who are spineless and succumb to every other public opinion that's out there. Sure. You know, so those good chiefs don't often last very long. No, a lot of them don't have jobs. Yeah. You're right. Well, and, and that's a lot of them sad. don't have jobs. And notice it's sheriffs that we are talking yeah. about exactly. that are highly yep. respected well, and do the right thing because they're elected by the people. So they only have to be accountable. Yep. To well, I, I have a theory and, and people have asked me, you know, what's the future, Travis? And I said, well, let me tell you what the future is if we don't change our ways. Mm -hmm. We will have a lot fewer municipal police departments. Yep. Mm -hmm. And a lot bigger sheriff's departments. Yes. Because the sheriff's department, they police same areas as cities. Sure. But they're the voters decide whether they like them or not. And voters, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Green or Libertarian, they want to be safe. Yes. It's not political. Yeah, that's right. So oddly enough, a sheriff position is a political position, but they but they know that as long as they do their job as law enforcement and to reduce crime, that they will keep their job. So they don't a lot of them don't get too involved politically. Yeah, it's they're very in control. Weird. Of and meanwhile, your municipal yeah, police chiefs are real political yeah. and crimes out of control. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's exactly what's and you're seeing that. It's yeah. already happened out in Southern California. Yep. You're seeing I mean, I saw a department up in Minnesota that's literally just going bankrupt. They're just stopping <laughs> and the city's having a contract with the sheriff's department. Yeah. That's what's going to occur if we don't change our ways. Yeah. Sure. And it's going to be sheriff's departments where the last bastion law enforcement is you're starting to see it right now. Sure. Absolutely. And and it's just really sad because this really isn't, it's not rocket science. No. Boys and girls. <laughs> it's really not. And it just amazes me when you look at a department, one in particular, I'm thinking of that probably 90% of their eyes, I'll know soon enough when I get my FOIA stuff <laughs> responded to, but um, at least 90%, I'm guessing, of their eyes are internally driven. You know, when your citizens so healthy there, are, yeah. are complaining, how does a chief commander, assistant chief, how do they think that makes them look good somehow? I, I, I can't understand. I said, you know, to me, your employees are your most valuable resource. They can make you look really good or they can make you look really bad. And how they think this is some kind of motivational thing, I, I don't know. But if I'm a chief, if, if the citizens aren't complaining, then you know what? If you're a supervisor that doesn't know how to lead and 
handle your people and teach them and whatever, that you need to move over because we'll find somebody. I mean, you're right. It all does come down to leadership. You know, one of the, obviously one of the biggest complaints in all law enforcement is rudeness, right? Rudeness complaints, no matter what department it is, is rude. Sure. And so once in a while, you know, as a supervisor or manager or or executive, you'll get this one officer that keeps getting rudeness complaints when it becomes a pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Well, my question when it came to me was always, well, how are you treating them? Mm-hmm. How's the sergeant treating him? Yep. You know, how's the c- lieutenant or the captain treating him? Because if if I have an officer that all of a sudden starts getting rudeness complaints, sure, I want to first know how they're being treated at work, and then secondly, okay, if that checks out, how's their family life? What's what happening? else is going on? Yep. Instead of just immediately going rip this guy a new one, exactly. that's not going to change anything. Right. That doesn't get to the foundation Nothing of what's going fixed. on here. And and but we have this. You know, I, I don't even know how to describe it. And now that I'm retired, I can describe it any way I want. <laughs> uh, of just, it's a mixture of incompetence, mm-hmm. vindictiveness, jealousness, insecurities, insecurities yeah. and just plain evil yeah. that's sometimes embedded in some of our law enforcement sure. agencies. You know, one of the first things, if I was ever chief or sheriff, which it won't ever happen, but it should, because I'm telling you, it'd be fun. Um, can I be your, uh, like a chaplain or something? Or? Honey, you, you can be my number <laughs> two. Janitor, yeah. okay. And the first thing I would put in is if a citizen wants to file a complaint, they have to come in and they're going to sign a document that says, if we find out you're lying, we will prosecute you to the full extent of the law. Uh, that was done years ago, I want to say in the 80s or 90s in California. Mm-hmm. And Complaints dropped 86%. Well, most cities have misdemeanor offenses for lying on police right. report. And that's what, uh, that's what but they, they do. But, but they don't use but it. Nobody, in my knowledge, uses it. Exactly. And if they would just do that, yes. uh, that's it. people would quit lying. You know, I uh, in 1995, I started getting all – I was a street cop. You know, it was back in the middle of the drug wars. And, of course, they told us to go to these street corners and arrest all these guys. And so we're doing what we're told. And I'm making a lot of drug arrests. And I started getting these complaints, like crazy complaints, like you called me this racial name or you did this, or you did that. And I'm like, what is going on here? I've been, I've, I mean, this was the most innocuous arrest ever. But these guys keep I've had three or four of these guys go in and say this. Well, come to find out on the streets, it was post Rodney King. The word on the streets was, hey, man, if you get popped, just go just make a complaint yep. and make it racial. Kind of weird. That's going on these days. Right. Yep. And the, they'll drop the charges. Well, it was all a lie. Right. But the, but so. <laughs> So, so I would, tri- into, I, would, <laughs> I would go into, I would, I would go into IA and I would, and I would, I would, they would say, did you say this? I'm like, of course not. That's ridiculous. Well, they didn't have anything on audio video. So it was one of these complaints I couldn't prove. Well, yeah. I said, I recognize very ironical, man. I don't want to have to be the guy that gets this reputation. I'm going out doing what my bosses want. And then I'm having to deal with this. And so we had these old school video cameras, like literally VCR in the trunk <laughs> with cables that run to the front. Joel knows nothing about those. <laughs> yeah, they're we'll square, kind of square. Yeah. Uh, they were boxes. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I told my sergeant, I said, I want one of these cameras. And he goes, well, none of them work. I go, I don't care. Uh-huh. They put a camera in my car that didn't work. And every time I put a bag on the car, I said, camera's on. <laughs> Just letting you know. And didn't get a complaint after that. So you're wow. right. There's something to that. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say post-Rodney King. About 95, 96, I was on working in patrol. And I made a uh, drug arrest down on Apache Boulevard in Tempe. And the guy was struggling. When I took him to the ground, he's yelling, Rodney King, Rodney <laughs> King. These people walk by and they're like, I don't know what this guy's problem is. They just keep on walking by. <laughs> You'll love this. There's an agency under consent decree. And one of the things that the consent decree is now requiring this agency to do, all traffic stops, if you write a ticket or a warning, 
you are issued a piece of paper that at the bottom has a QR code. And when you scan that, it has a traffic survey. And so you think people are going to be nice about it and say nice <laughs> things about the person that just wrote them a ticket or a warning. And if there are any complaints, they automatically cut numbers. It, it automatically yeah. generates mm-hmm. an eye. It's crazy. And you just go, yeah, they're probably not going to stop yeah, too many I, people. <laughs> let me, I'll recommend to your audience to go to my Substack. I've written a lot about consent decrees. It's one of the biggest scams in the world. Sure it's is. the beginning stage of the federal government forming a national police force. Law yep. enforcement calls that crazy. It's not. You better look into it now. Sure. Uh, go to TravisYates.org, and in that website, you'll see Substack, right, on all the articles. And so, but do you know that in all the consent decrees, and they started in the 1994 crime bill, President Joe Biden was the big pusher of that bill. And I always laugh when he kind of mumbles and stumbles and calls police <laughs> systematically racist. Because the only thing racist that I've ever known in this career in 30 years was a 94 crime bill that had different offenses for blacks yep. on crack cocaine and whites for powder cocaine. And he was the author of that bill or the co-author of that bill. And yep. Bill Clinton signed it. So the only thing that I'm aware of that he's talking about is what he did. But I digress. <laughs> um, uh, but the Senate priest started... In 1994, uh, they call them pattern and practice investigations, but in the legislation, they don't define a pattern and practice. And not one agency has ever been under a consent decree that didn't agree. <laughs> a couple agencies have said, you know what? This report looks crazy because they all do when you mm-hmm. read it. Right. Uh, so I think we should go to federal court and you prove your case. Mm-hmm. Two agencies did it and DOJ went home. They can't prove their case. So these cities are doing it to themselves. The mayors are doing it to themselves. The police are doing it to themselves. The DOJ will never implement a consent decree that they have to actually prove because their methodology <laughs> is always flawed because they use population as a benchmark in their methodology. In Louisville, they pulled several years of videos and reports, and I think they found three incidences of what they believe are biased. Out of seven years. Well, man, uh, where's the consent decree at McDonald's and the FBI and the DEI? I mean, first off, that's what you think, right? Uh, They just, and then when you read the report, I would challenge people to actually read the reports line by line because it's crazy. It's like an editorial piece. Sure. And I've, I've, I've helped, I've tried to help the articles to tell people this, but it's amazing to me how these chiefs are out there going, the consent decree can help us. (gasps) And, and we have, we have 30 years of total destruction yeah. sure. of police departments and cities through these, but they're continuing to happen. And when is, if Biden is uh, on the track, Biden's on, he'll implement more than Obama. I believe Obama implemented 15 or 18 of them. Trump implemented zero mm-hmm. uh, because I, I agree with him. The federal government's got no business in local law enforcement. Exactly. You got your own problems, federal Absolutely. government. Why don't you fix your own problems? Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, and then once you get in that, under that dissent, uh, dissent, consent, consent degree, you can't get out of it. They, and that's because it's a money pit, Tom. And here's why. Uh, it's going to cost, I believe Chicago's paying $3 million for their consent decree monitor. So they, they assign a monitor. Monitor sets their own salary. They usually start at a million dollars. And so the monitor's the only one that gets you out. So if you're the monitor and you have to write four reports a year, four quarterly reports, <laughs> and the department goes, I think we've complied. Will you let us out? You're going to look at your wife and go, we're going to stay in Chicago another few years. Yeah. You're not giving up your million plus, million dollar plus salary. It's a money cash cow. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And so these, there's been cities in these for 18, 19, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, and, but if you declare bankruptcy and you can't pay them, they'll move so somewhere else. It's, it's, uh, but here's the crazy thing about that. This, this is one of the most destructive things going on in law enforcement today. What police organization out there is speaking out against it? None. 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 No, because again, None. the chief, if he speaks out, is afraid. Well, not even the chief. I'm talking about organizations that say we're for 
American law enforcement. Sure. None. Right. Because they're getting paid on the back end from the DLJ through the federal grants and all this other stuff. And by the way, speaking of federal grants, these chiefs that are taking federal grants from the government right now have to comply with the federal policies on use of force and a bunch of other things. So if you don't think that they're not pushing for national policing, you're not paying attention because they're getting their foot in the door. Why would they want to do national policing, Travis? Well, we just went through COVID where everything got really weird. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Sure did. But there were a few police departments and a few communities that said, I don't think so. Yep. We think moms should get to take their kids to the beach. Uh Uh-huh. We think getting the sunlight is a good thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? right. Um, and the federal government doesn't like that. Right. They don't like Florida. They don't like Oklahoma. They don't like Texas. But if you can federalize law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, you can do it. And people will go, Travis, that seems crazy. They're telling you that. Art Acevedo used to be the head of the major city chiefs of police, supposedly on our side. <laughs> and he says, I think there's too many police departments. We need to... We'll make this a little leaner. And um wonder who he would eliminate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're they're outwardly trying this, Susan. And I'm I'm blown away that you don't see any police chiefs talking about it. Nope. You don't see any police organizations talking about it. And they keep talking about packing the Supreme Court. Yeah. Now, they want to tell you that's because of abortion. Well, abortion's still legal in a lot of states. Right. That's a lie. States' rights yep. is what really bothers them. Yep, mm-hmm. sure does. And the only way you change states' rights is you've got to put a lot of crazy people on the Supreme Court. Yep. Because once they eliminate states' rights, you don't have it. You may have a Florida or Oklahoma or Texas or Arizona, but they don't control their own state. And guess what then happens? So this is all happening in front of us. Mm-hmm. No one seems to be paying attention. Everyone's scared to talk about it, which is why we've seen all the atrocities in the history of the world, because everyone's scared to talk about it, and we're living it right now. Sure. I look back, and I'm going to stop because somebody else needs to talk, but I look back, (laughs) She's not going to stop that word. I look back on the atrocities in this world, whether it was Hitler, whether it was slavery, or all these horrific things. I'm not comparing what I'm talking about to that. Right. But that all happened because it was happening right in front of people, and they were silent. Yep. And leaders didn't lead. Yeah, look at Germany. It all happened. They are the blueprint. Right in front of them. Absolutely. And yeah, you had a few people banging the drum. Yep. And thank God that we recognize that now. But I don't want to recognize what's going on in America in 100 years. Right. I want good men and women to step up and stop this and to do what it takes to stop it. And yeah, it may be painful. I know for a fact, my wife knows for a fact, they're going to come after you. Mm -hmm. It could be painful, but it's the right thing to do. And that's what makes this country great is we have men and women that will step and do the right thing no matter what. That's why my book was called The Courageous Police Leader. It's going to take a lot of courage to do this. It's going to take a lot of self-sacrifice. But is it not worth it? Because if you don't believe me, just look around right now. Go to Seattle. Are things going great? Go to Chicago. Yeah, are things awesome? No, just like the Lego movie. Everything's not awesome. Nope. So, uh, (laughs) and I just believe we can do so much better. And I believe it starts not necessarily with chiefs, but it starts with citizens and it starts with police officers and it starts with everybody because we outnumber them. Sure. Right? Everybody feels powerless, but you're not. Yep. I mean, look at the power of what I call the one percenters, you know, one percent of the crazy people that pick up the riot signs and get on Facebook. I mean, they have a lot of power sometimes, right? Because they, they're the loud, they're right. the ones that go to city council meetings and raise hell and change. Po- well, what if the other 99 percent decided, you know, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Yeah, enough's mm-hmm. enough. So um, so I, I, I see more people tr- doing that now, but I, I'm definitely concerned because this movement is not stopping. Mm-hmm. And 
and I don't want people to get lackadaisical about it because I'm, I'm extremely concerned because I'm watching it happening right in front of me. And I know exactly what they're trying to do. And um, Well, and that's why I'm really thankful, honestly, that you have retired because you are freer to speak now from a place of having seen it. You've been around it, all of that stuff. Not that Tulsa necessarily is a Seattle, uh, but the reality of the matter is you've been teaching all over for a very long time. And you do know what's going on in places. And again, you're a little stymied when you're still getting a paycheck from people. <laughs> uh, but now, well, you know. and ultimately, Susan, our men and women behind the badge are hurting. Absolutely. And you know that yes. all too well. That's why I'm so honored that you do what you do. I mean, they talk to me and they are hurting. Yes. And because you can imagine, let's say you're listening to this and you're an accountant. Let's imagine that every day you go to work, people are screaming. And people say they hate you and people do say crazy things. And then you get home and you go to Facebook and people say they hate accountants. Sure. And and they lie about you. And it's constant. And you can and go then, to jail. But then you go to your job as the job. accountant and you go, well, at least my boss has my back. And then they turn on you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. so uh, the people are hurting uh, dramatically and it just doesn't happen to happen. It's all about people just leading. It's not rocket science. Of course, I teach two or three day class on it, but I don't have to. I could just open up and say, hey, here's an idea. Treat everybody like you want to be treated. Yeah. The golden rule. Yeah. From from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just let's just treat people right. And then but then I wouldn't get paid a lot of money if I just did that. But you know <laughs> well and they've forgotten where they came from because they are the same ones who complained about bad supervisors mm-hmm. and stuff, but then that's what they become because it's that attitude I've heard forever. Uh, it's my turn to dish it out. Well, and and, my, and I call that ancestral leadership in our seminars because I do, I've been around a lot of people that have been, if I ever get there, I'm going to do this. If I ever get there, I'm going to do that. Then I see them get there. They may try that for like a day. Then all of a sudden, they're just like the other guy or gal. Yep. And I'm like, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is it's hard to do that. Sure it is. It's easy to do status quo. It's easy to do what the last guy did. I could stay here five, six, seven years, pack my pension and leave. Mm-hmm. But you're not changing anything. You're not making anything better. And I agree with you. I don't know how they sleep at night because they've been blessed with the position to really, I mean, one police chief in this country can impact thousands and thousands and thousands of people in a positive yeah. way. One sergeant can impact that. I mean, if you, if you find, everyone's a leader. But if you mm-hmm. find yourself in a position of authority and you're a leader, you can change generations. Here's the and other they have that opportunity. that's going on, too. And I said, I, I want to come up with a new name for it. But it's like a Stockholm syndrome within the departments of how officers are feeling. And the bottom line is, is when they get to retirement, they're so burned out on all of it. They don't even want to push back and try to make things better. They just... Or exhausted and and, and go I'm home done. and go yeah. home, and but it it is it's a Stockholm syndrome that they make the administrations who are not leaders make their pay, people so afraid of what they can do that they just kind of almost have that thousand yard stare and just go along to get out and it's really sad. Yeah, because what ends up happening is that officer, the second chapter of their life post-law enforcement, is not a good one. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a good one. No. Uh, and uh, and to have a good second chapter, you better start that second chapter mentality long before that begins. Yep. Right? Well, one of the things we're preaching, I said, before I die, I want y'all to be able to put on my tombstone, Queen of Intermittent FMLA. <laughs> because my whole push... It's, can you imagine if an entire communication center, entire shifts, 
all had intermittent FMLA. The reality of the matter is they could all call in sick the same day, and there's nothing anybody could do about it because you can't deny them the FMLA time off. And it's not about that they will do it. It's the fact that it could happen. Things then have to start changing because HR is going to freak the hell out, first of all. And this, and I'm telling officers, this is how you get control back, um, at least some level of it, is just have that stuff filed and do it. And please, if y'all are listening out there in law enforcement, only do it under the reasoning of sleep deprivation. Because if somebody wants to criticize you for doing this, you go, hold on a minute. I carry a gun. I deal with the public. You want me out here sleep deprived doing this job? (laughs) I'm doing what's in the best interest of the department and the community by taking that time. And it's going to get it's going to get interesting. Well, I can answer that question. Uh-huh. Yes, they want them out there doing it sleep deprived because they don't care about them. Because right. if you were a truck driver, we would analyze your right. logs and go back and Absolutely. we would prosecute you if you if you were driving past which is supposed to be if you're an airplane pilot, we would la- we right. would land that plane and not fly it again until you had a pilot that had enough sleep. Whoops. But if you're a police officer, you could we'll work you to death mm-hmm. yeah. and not even care about the mm-hmm. impact it makes on the community and you. And then if you make a mistake, Susan, mm-hmm. while you're sleep deprived, we'll prosecute you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well it's like the superintendent the last superintendent of Chicago PD said. Oh, yeah. He goes, Would you rather have a <coughs> sleep deprived officer show up when someone's shooting at you or no one show up? No one. I'll handle it. I don't want the sleep. And that, that's his rationale to everything. Because I guarantee you, the officer in Texas that went in the wrong apartment, sleep. I guarantee. No, you sleep it's not guaranteed. Five. That's proven. She had, she had worked about. I think it was an eighteen or nineteen hour shift because but, they did a search warrant. It ran late. But 100%. did they? But did they use? that? Did not mitigate to anything. Her. Nope. Didn't yeah. mitigate anything. <laughs> right. And the one that went for the gun instead of the taser in. Is that in Missouri or? That was in Minnesota. But yeah. the first thing you need to ask is, okay, what about sleep deprivation? But yeah. also, what about the training? Sure. Absolutely. But that's not held into account. No. Because law enforcement is the only profession, Susan, where we prosecute mistakes. Oh, yeah. The, the, the medical doctors are the third leading cause of death in America. <laughs> They're killing 700,000 people a year. And that's not a number I came up with. That's a number they came up with because the other yeah. number was a lot bigger. They said, no, we'll do our own research. We only killed 700,000 last year. <laughs> and they call them. They call them medical <laughs> mistakes. It's a very nice way of saying that they have to make split-second decisions with very limited information, mm. and sometimes horrible things happen. Wow. Sounds familiar, yeah. doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So we don't, we don't, we're not, I'm not leaving here to take my picket sign in front of the hospital, right, right. and demanding the, the hospital, you know, fire all the doctors and sure. defund the hospitals. Uh, we're not prosecuting doctors, but law enforcement, they have to make not only split-second decisions, but it's life and death decisions yeah. with their lives in danger with high levels of stress. Sure. And we prosecute those mistakes. And by the way, I'm going to say it again. Where are the organizations talking about this? Where are the chiefs talking about this? They're getting behind this. Absolutely. They're yeah. getting behind this. Yeah. They're not talking about this. Yes. And and that's I can't come change. on here anymore. I don't have enough blood pressure <laughs> medicine for this show. I was gonna ask Tracy. How, yeah, ask her something. You, let, me, you, let me let me let me do some diaphragm breathing here. <laughs> ask her a few questions. How do you get him to calm down at home? I don't. You just let him go yes. and get it out of his system. Yes. No. Yeah. It's just always going. That's yeah. Fine. But but He's you got good things to say. And the thing about it is you understand this is a passion for him mm-hmm. that his intentions are in the right place. Yes. And again, now you're in a real position to voice everything that you've had built up for all of these years. And the best way to do that is through these type podcasts, the writings, the books, and the trainings. 
And, you know, again, I would love to get invited to a chief's conference. <laughs> it won't happen. But once, <laughs> if it happens then, uh, yeah, we actually went up to the powwow in Flagstaff last year. We were supposed to have 15 minutes. It got cut to five. Can't do a whole lot in five minutes. Um, but And even that was less than five minutes of what we got. Absolutely. Yes. And But that's a place that needs to hear what you and I have to say. Don't know if it'll make a difference or not. But when you start getting this out. The public does care. They just don't know what they don't know, right. to be honest. Right. They don't have time to keep up with what we keep up with because they're busy raising kids and working. Sure. They see these headlines and, and it's these crazy things and they and they don't know the difference. You know, if I talk about population benchmark, because you don't, you can never compare any profession to population if compared to a customer base. And our customer base is people that commit crime. So if you're right. going to compare, if you're going to compare anything, you have, you can't compare us to population. You compare us to who's committing crime and that's how you tr- backtrack the activity. Well, the citizens don't have, you know, they see these crazy headlines that police officers shoot and kill blacks this many more times based on their population. And, and it looks outrageous and it looks really crazy. And they get, the citizens don't have time to think about that. And they go, wait a minute here. But so mm-hmm. I think it's behoove on people that understand that. And of course, every researcher that wants to keep their research license <laughs> will tell you that that's bogus way to sure. uh, to do research. Uh, but it's we need to speak out about that. But once again, where are the... Large organizations that we're paying our annual dues to, yep. where are they? They're nowhere to be found. No. And that is, that's also a leadership issue because there's leadership in that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but they have banned uh, lateral, LVNR, lateral, lateral vascular neck restraints. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every department in the country's banned it because the federal government banned it. So if you take, take grant money, you got to ban it. And of course, George Floyd did not die from an LVNR, so we're going to ban that. Right. Uh, we've A lot of us have banned no-knock warrants because Breonna Taylor did not die no knock warrant. So right. we ban that. Right. So we're literally banning things that they can't even prove didn't kill anybody. In fact, LVNRs never kill anybody. Right. Uh, they do it every weekend in MMA. They're doing it in every jiu-jitsu gym in Arizona as I speak. Exactly. And bad guys can still use it against us, but most law enforcement's been banned from using it. And nobody, in fact, ICP has said, yeah, ban it. And the and the DLJ uses that in the percent decrees yep. to say, you use this, so you're wrong. It's a pattern in practice. And 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 I, I laugh because I've been in departments where they've done this and the chiefs and the defensive tax owners, they all laugh and go, yeah, it's bogus. Like, we know it doesn't mm-hmm. kill people. Then why did you make it deadly force? Well, because. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who that hurts? That hurts the officers that are fighting for their lives. Yes. So we're taking tools away that, uh, that, that help officers. And then we wonder why we have this recruiting and retention problem. So things are just flat out common sense. Yeah. Uh, we're taking away just because. Just because. And and if any profession does that, the profession doesn't last. You know, if Microsoft decided, you know, this whole email thing, it's not working out for us. Let's just take this away. And uh, <laughs> and these websites, no, no, they, they would never take things that resources that helps their business. But law enforcement does it. And uh, and, and then we wonder why the profession's hurting. And, that, and they really don't even know why they're doing it. They're just doing it because they're told by somebody right. somewhere right. to do it. Right. Some authority somewhere. I mean, I'll go. I wrote an article called the lies leaders tell, tell you it's at travisyates.org. And I go through all this and one of them is positional asphyxia. Cause ever since I was in police, when they're like, don't leave a suspect on their stomach. And I, a few times, I don't, we just all, okay. That's what the policy says is how we were trained. That's what we do. But then a few times in my career, I go, well, wait a minute. I didn't respond to three baby deaths this morning. What's going on? Does this really kill people? People laying on their stomach. Cause babies sleep on their stomach and adults sleep on their stomach. <laughs> 
Well, come to find out, that whole thing happened because some coroner in Canada back in the 80s uh, said that three people died in police custody because of this. And they didn't ever check the data or the facts or anything. <laughs> and he spoke at a couple conferences and all the chiefs around the world were we'll just ban it then. And exactly. nobody even checks into it. And so these things are happening. I mean, it's, it's just comical, but it's sad that this is our profession. Oh, yeah. No profession can survive that makes decisions like this, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to die on a hill about positional asphyxia, but... If that's not killing people, they are charging officers yes. for right. this stuff. When we know it's not killing them, it could be the high amounts of methamphetamine or fentanyl in their system, just yeah, saying. Yeah. But yeah. no, because there was a police officer in the zip code. Yep. I mean, out in L.A. right now, I had some LAPD officers call me a few weeks ago, and they've prosecuted seven uh, LAPD officers because they were literally around a guy that died of an overdose. Oh, God. Like, clearly, they, they were taking his blood. They were taking his blood because of the DUI thing. And the guy ends up dying. And ends up, he had high levels of drugs in his system. And Gascon charged seven officers and the nurse for murder. And so they, my, my buddy says, <sighs> if, if an OD call goes out, if an OD call goes out, you ain't going to find a cop on that call. Because no if they die and we're like in the vicinity, we're getting prosecuted. Yeah. And so it. It's but so you insane. A criminal out there, and they get released, no bond, mm -hmm. no it, bail. It, listen, it's so insane. I, I, I have a lot. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not frustrated a lot of times because oh, I yeah, feel like I'm one lone voice out there. But I, but I know I'm not. This this cannot go on no. because you're seeing what's going to happen across America just by looking at I don't know Seattle and Portland and Los Angeles, San and Francisco, San Francisco, yeah. New York. You're seeing it. And those aren't just going to be in the big cities. That's going to transition to other cities where we live, and it has to stop. Sure. And don't get me started on Gascon. Oh, my God. <laughs> that man's a menace. We're oh. in Mesa right now. I'm sure uh, your audience knows that. And you know, but uh, I, was, I was in the charge of implementing ComStat a long, long time ago, and they sent me out here for three or four days, and I hung out with then-police chief Gascon yeah. in Mesa yeah. PD. Yep. I talked for him. And – uh, I gotta, I gotta admit, I didn't see it coming. Like he seemed he's like a, a jerk. Seemed like a nice guy, confident, very confident. Right. But he seemed like a nice guy. Not to women. Uh, like, well, I wasn't a woman. I well, I mean, I guess I could have been. No, this was like '08, so I, no. we we had a clear definition <laughs> of a woman and man. But, um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've got a little backstory with him. But he seemed like a nice guy. He treated me well. Yeah. No, he did not treat so. me well, and that was, <laughs> yeah, that'll be in the book one day. But. Um, <laughs> How often do you get to Arizona? Because we want to have you back on the podcast again. We want to know, and like I said, you and I are going to stay in touch. We're going to be burning things down. <laughs> well, I, I love I love your state, Susan. You've got some great people here, great we police do. officers, we great do. communities, and great golf courses. Uh, and um, just not at 120 degrees. <laughs> my wife, listen, my wife no a, food. My wife's a trooper. You know, I wanted to play golf, and I said, "Hey, the tee times are really cheap." I, I knew why. Because uh, it's because because the green because it's literally a inferno out there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and she says, "Well, what about the heat?" I says, "Oh, it's fine. It's dry heat. It's dry heat." <laughs> and uh, and but when she flew here with me, she knew what was up. She was like, "Oh," I said, uh, "Hey, listen, we'll just go eight or nine holes." And we got out there this morning. I mean, we went all eighteen. Oh my uh, and She did actually better than I did. Uh, I uh, well, you were I, about to pass out. I was struggling a little bit, but yeah, but. But so I get out here actually quite a bit. I would say three or four times a year. Good. Uh, I get out to the state. Uh, I love doing it, and I've got some great relationships out here. So anytime, anything I can do for you, I'll do, Susan. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. Yeah, we want to get updates and, from you. We're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have the Travis update. That's right. Oh, I don't know if you're already. Oh yeah, we are. Oh yeah, we are. Yeah, we'll come up with new ways to 
come at people and departments and things because it, it is going to take all well, of Well, I'm us. very, very close to, uh, you know, we have the accreditation and you know, all the politically credit. We want to be accredited. You <laughs> yeah, know? Right. We want a bunch of people that don't know anything about us to say we're a good department. And, uh, and pay them a lot and, of money. Pay them a lot yeah. of money <laughs> annually. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't committed to it yet, but I may be real close to saying which departments you better work at, which ones you better not work at based on leadership. I'm with you. And that way, if people want to go in the law, because people, I actually got asked a question. We went to the Morgan Wallen concert last night. You heard of this dude? Uh-uh. Tracy? Uh, my wife made me go. Is that right? I'm sorry. We're so... No, I, it was great. I, I just didn't know. I, I didn't know they made Western is? outfits that showed nothing but skin. <laughs> well, it was really hot in there. <laughs> So yeah. Where was this? It was at Chasefield. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah but so there was so many. You heard of Morgan people. Wallen? Y'all have no, never heard of Morgan Wallen? I have country not. singer. Uh, I never heard of her either. It's a. <laughs> and you're from Oklahoma? Um, country singer. He's, we he's, a, he's a hot. All the young kids like this guy. Yeah. And we were like the oldest ones there, I think. But, well, so anyway, we went, we went to this thing. That were our age took their kids. Yeah, we went to this thing. And actually, a lady asked me there, would you recommend law enforcement? And I hadn't been asked that question in a while. And uh, I actually pondered it. My wife was free because I paused before I answered. And uh, <laughs> I, told you you had had I know. I actually had a, a, a logical thought before my mouth started running. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I would because it was, it's been one of the greatest blessings of my life. It's a noble profession. Uh, you're the only one standing between good and evil. I said, but, it was a big but, all capital letters, you need to research that community and that department. Yes. And you need to predict how that's going to be in 20 or 25 years. Yes. Because a lot of people went to Portland 30 years ago when it was a great place to visit. Sure. And they're in a living hell now. Yep. And so there are a lot of great cities in this country yes. where where you should be a, you can be a police officer and it's it's going to be a great profession for you and your family. Sure. But you need to make a calculated decision based on that. It's not just let's throw the dart of the dartboard at who pays the most. It's going to be where where has great leadership been for a number of years, yep. where they're fostering leadership for the future, where communities are supportive of that of that of law and order and the community wants to be safe. Go be a police officer in that community. And uh, and I think I th I still think it's worthy of worthy of the calling. Sure. Versus you used to apply to Everybody, because right. mm -hmm. it was all and pretty so, much good. Uh, it's, so it's pretty easy, and that's why the, I'm proud of the courageous leadership principles we developed, because I can just look at one department. I can look at a department. I can go, are they following these principles? Because mm -hmm. if they aren't, disasters either happened or it will happen. And so I'm, I'm, I'm fairly close to just putting a website up saying, here's where you should work, and here's where you should never work. Sure. Just so Because these kids are being lied to. These departments are paying hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars for marketing materials mm -hmm. and fancy websites and tactical cool videos to try to coax these people to come to their department and give them signing bonuses. Signing and then they get bonuses. to that department, and they're, they're a call away from being indicted yeah. from some crazy yeah. prosecutor That's or exactly some weak right. police chief. And so we need to warn those kids. And I think, uh, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So I, we'll just do it, and we'll start – and if a department doesn't like they're not uh, they're not on the list, then maybe you could do some things to get on the list. Here's sure. here's how you lead. Yeah, there That's you go. Right. Bring bring Travis in <laughs> and let him teach. And if y'all start practicing his principles, we'll put you on the list. And listen, exactly. see, it's not really my principles. It's just it's the right thing to do. Well, whether whether you whether whether you go to church or read the Bible or you're around a great dad or a great sports coach, you know what? Everyone knows what great leadership is. They do. Yeah. Let's just do it. And do everyone it. knows what poor leadership is, but they still follow it. 100%. Yep. Well, we hope you'll come back and do this again because, like I said, you and I are going to stay in touch because, like I said, I'm older than you and I'm getting to a place I just really don't care. Uh, and I just as soon start calling names, taking names, and let it 
the chips fall where they may. Well, everyone else seems to be doing that. That's I not us. So, uh, I mean, the other <laughs> behind pe- the times, pe- people that hate cops to have Damn no it. problem calling names and saying crazy stuff. So, yeah. I don't know why we're so meek and mild. Last time I checked to save your eyeball, I wasn't so meek and mild. Uh, he pretty much called people out as well. Sure. So we'll get you guys back on here, I, and I love having you in studio. I hate Zoom once it's just it's just not right. nearly as personal and stuff. It's much fun for Joel over here. Well, I got to tell you, Joel has been a treat. He is uh, <laughs> he is a stoic and serious. He stares at those all those little flashy lights, trying to. He, he, I know what he's doing. He's no one can understand my slang, so he's doing some editing as I speak. So I'm gonna. He's doing his little AI stuff so they understand my slang. Mute, mute. Yeah. Well, as we wrap this episode up again, we are just honored to have you both in here. Just thrilled that you were at the conference and we were actually in the same place at the same time. And we just want to remind our audience out there that Under the Shield is here 24-7, 365 days a year. Our whole concept of stress coaching is based on anonymity. We stand by that. There's no notes, no records. When you call our 855 number, which is 855-889-2348, if you hit extension 1, you are going to get a stress coach. You'll never get voicemail. But let it ring because it's going to roll to the first available stress coach. And we do not have your number. We have the number you call. That's what comes up on the stress coach's phone. Uh, This is for families of all first responders and military also can call us. Um, If you hit extension two, it's going to come to my voicemail. I'm not real good at retrieving that voicemail. I have, Joel will tell you, I have a little trouble with technology sometimes. Um, So I'd really rather you call me on my cell at 334-324. 3570. During the day, text me, call me at night. Tom is extension four on that line. Extension three goes to David Cohen in Alabama. And Tom, your cell number is? 480-861-6574. We're eventually going to put Joel. I'm going to substitute <laughs> Joel's phone number for mine. So y'all call Joel. Uh, but we want you to know that uh, families, we appreciate the sacrifices you make. Tracy knows it. It, it, Family is probably the last group that anybody really thinks of, and yet we're the ones who try to keep everything rolling smoothly at home so we don't stress our law enforcement loved ones out, and the sacrifices are tremendous, well worth it, but tremendous, Mm -hmm. Uh, kids also, and so we're here for you as well, so don't hesitate to reach out to us, and again, we just want you to know that... uh, Everything's anonymous, don't have phone numbers, never going to ask your name or who you work for. I may ask if you're fire, dispatch, law enforcement, military, to make sure you get to the right stress coach. But we hope you'll come back, and who knows where we'll be next week. We never know where we're going to be, do we, Joel? It's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) But God bless you. God bless your families and this great nation that we live in. And please call us if we can do anything. Take care, stay safe, and we'll... Be back in a week.